Welcome to the Silverleaf Investment Advisor Market and Economic Outlook Podcast. My name is Daniel Rendler with Silverleaf Investment Advisors. I am a financial advisor who is also an accredited investment fiduciary. Our company specializes in comprehensive financial planning and fiduciary investment management that focuses on the best interest of our clients. The information I will share with you today is from Brian Westbury's blog, Monday Morning Outlook. He is the chief economist of First Trust, an investment management company, and is a trusted resource to the financial services community. In this June 1st, Monday Morning Outlook, Brian Westbury, chief economist of First Trust, talks about inflation revisionism. Talk about revisionist history. A recent tweet storm from an opinion leader at the New York Times says that looking back, he wonders what all the fuss was about in the 1970s regarding inflation. It wasn't that high, he says, and so the risk of returning to that kind of inflation should not be a serious concern today because it wouldn't even be that bad if we went back there. Just so we get our facts straight, here are the consumer price inflation rates per decade looking backward. The 1950s, 2.2%. 1960s, 2.5%, 1970s, 7.4%, 1980s, 5.1%, 1990s, 2.9%, 2000s, 2.6%, and the 2010s, 1.7%. So while the U.S. in the 1970s and early 1980s was not Zimbabwe, it was the worst sustained inflation in U.S. history. Prices were doubling every 10 years, and the Fed had to push interest rates up to 20% to stop the damage. Nonetheless, the revisionists say that the inflation of the 1970s was good for many people. They argue that, a home, they argue that home ownership rose, student debt got wiped out, and inflation reduced the value of the national debt. In other words, if you can see these benefits, why don't we do it again? First, it is true that home ownership rose in the 1970s, but it was rising even faster in the second half of the 1960s. Moreover, savings and loans provided assumable mortgages in the 1970s, which allowed buyers to assume a lower pre-inflation mortgage rate. Eventually, this led to the collapse of the saving and loans industry. Second, because student debt has fixed interest rates, of course it would disappear faster with higher inflation. In addition, people with student debt tend to have a higher lifetime income than people without the debt. Is he really arguing in favor of using inflation to redistribute wealth to people with above-average lifetime incomes? Third, the national debt did fall as a share of GDP after World War II, but almost all of the decline happened between 1946, when debt was 118% of GDP, and 1969, when it fell to 36%. It only fell by another 4 percentage points of GDP to 32% by 1981, and from 1946 through 1969, inflation averaged 2.5% per year. In other words, the inflation of the 1970s was not the key behind reducing the national debt. The primary problem with 1970s-style inflation is that everybody involved in the economy, every business owner, every worker, every investor, every manager, every entrepreneur, would have to spend time trying to forecast it. Borrowing and investing would pose danger on both sides of the transaction. The same goes for labor contracts. Here's what the 1970s inflation apologists don't say. Unemployment averaged 4.6% in the 1950s and 60s, and then averaged 6.2% in the 1970s. It was even higher in the 1980s, but that's because the early part of the decade had to be dedicated 
to tight monetary policy to wrestle inflation under control. Ultimately, inflation is a hidden tax that doesn't stay hidden. People adapt by redirecting their resources away from production and towards inflation hedging, which doesn't raise standards of living over time. The problem is that at this point, you have to be relatively old to remember the 1970s. With each passing year, a smaller share of the population actually lived through it. And so we forget the pain it caused. Hopefully we are not condemned to repeat it. Daniel Rendler and Todd Rendler are registered representatives offering securities and advisory services through Commonwealth Financial Network, member of FINRA, SIPC, and a registered investment advisor. Financial planning services offered through Silverleaf Advisors are separate and unrelated to Commonwealth. Fixed insurance products and services offered through CES Insurance Agency, Rendler Sales Consulting, or Silverleaf Investment Advisors. Opinions expressed on this podcast are strictly those of its host and its guests. All content is provided for information and education only and should not be construed as specific tax, legal, or investment advice, nor a recommendation to buy or sell securities. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax advisor, attorney, or accountant. Consultation with the appropriate professional should be done before any financial commitments regarding the issues related to the situation above are made.